think it's a good time to get started. Welcome everyone to the No Name Podcast. My name is Ryan Warner, joined as always by Dustin Gavrilo and Dr. Ellie Shockley. And we got a couple other guest hosts with us today, Jim and Richard. What's up, everybody? What's up? What's that? Saying what's up, introducing uh, the show here for, for oh. this afternoon. Sorry to uh, catch you unawares there. I saw that you had left the uh, no. left the camera. Well, um, so it's been another crazy week. I want to give some space for everyone to kind of have a check-in moment, and um, I'll I'll start it off briefly. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have been following the news, uh, all of the news, but uh, there's a giant, giant ship blocking the Suez Canal. Yeah. And uh, it's causing a lot of money and um, creating a lot of insurance claims around the world and a lot of shipping delays. But to me, it's kind of a, the perfect metaphor for this time in, uh, in history. One little thing, or in this case, one giant thing, can screw up everything else um, due to bottlenecks and design deficiencies. And uh, it's crazy how everything's interrelated to the extent that one thing going wrong can break break down the entire system. The entire entire global supply chain can go down in one one fail swoop because uh, somebody got pushed off course by wind at the wrong time going through a canal. It's crazy, um, just the way that uh, everything is connected. It's a great metaphor for re- remembering that we all are interconnected, and uh, something across the world can uh, cost billions and billions of dollars. And it's uh, just insane. And uh, with that, I'm going to kick it off to anyone else that would like to go. What's your Suez Canal moment of the week? Well, I'll share that I've been thinking a lot about, um, just based on things I'm observing, um, the psychological consequences of the uh, time pressure of the legislative session. You know, there is research on what happens to decision makers under time pressure and the kind of leadership that emerges and the kind of decision making that emerges and the biases that emerge and the preferences that emerge. And I think that, so I kind of have that literature in mind when I think about these things, but I'm just seeing this emerging theme that legislative session is just too busy, too packed, too deliberately confusing Um, and anybody can be kind of roped into being the victim of the excessive confusion because any, there's always somebody trying to trick you for something. Um, but also that it's not a good time to really engage in meaningful persuasion when an argument and idea is so super new to someone. So legislators aren't going to come into this session in January, having deeply rooted beliefs about sex and gender, uh, and by sex, I mean like biological sex of humans um, and gender, you know, they're not going to turn those upside down by April, if not, you know, sooner when they have to make some decision relating to it. It's just not the context for that kind of learning and uh, evolving understanding. And they can hear a lot of information, but mentally integrating it and drawing the conclusions that one should draw from it, like, oh, this isn't a domain of life, we should legislate. Like, Banning trans athletes, we we simply this this would be uh, we're jumping the gun here. We don't have the understanding we think we do, um, but it's just really hard to get people to go through that cognitive journey of the learning and the understanding and um, being able to comprehend the persuasive arguments 
And so it's not a great effort. It's not a great context for laws to be making made quickly um, when they're just sort of paradigm shifting or, or like the argument against them is paradigm shifting. And I think also uh, it seems connected to me to the fact that as we saw, um, Becker voted uh, philosophically wrong on something and, and Dustin pointed out to him. And that only happened because of the time pressure and the overwhelm of information. You know, this that's not something like, I guess I think it means something if an intelligent person is unintentionally voting against their values. To me, that's diagnostic of the situation. Like this is a very confusing situation. And so I'm contemplating how, how there might be some improvements we can bring about to the system and how we can build some consensus that something needs to change. We know the establishment has no interest in changing it, but if there are people in different ideological positions, so if there's some diversity of, among those who think this the system is not working great, um, maybe there's somewhere we can go with that. So that's what I've been chewing on this week. I've also been doing a lot of work to uh, kind of just get uh, nonpartisan league ducks in a row so that the organization can start, uh, you know, in doing real work towards its aims. So uh, that would be my check-in for the week. Well, if no one's going to jump in, I'm going to I'm going to build off what Elliot was saying there for a second. Um, I agree totally with your diagnostic um, conclusion there, Elliot. There's there is no time, and things are written in a complicated way that maybe cloak the intention or the actual impact of the bill. Um, and so we have this systemic. Uh, structural deficiency that's creating uh, suboptimal results, just um, our time crunch, our 80 days to do stuff every two years. And um, I think a great case can be made that we need full-time legislators um, for two reasons. First, the one you outlined, which would be just not enough time. Number two, it would be great to pay these folks uh, a commensurate wage for what they're doing and um, remove them <laughs> from the other uh, employment opportunities that uh, they sometimes use to supplement their incomes. And so if we had a full-time legislature, they could be 100% concentrated on, on the, the, the complex issues that face North Dakota, and they wouldn't be pulled in this or that dis direction and be um, subject to, to smooth lobbyists or other uh, um, persuasive uh, persuasive. Um, situations that may push them against their ideological preferences, which um, I think happens not only does it happen to the legislature, it happens to people when they vote too. Um, just things get so complicated. You either get persuaded to vote in a certain direction by advertising or by your friends, and maybe it doesn't quite fit with what you would have thought had you had taken the time to think about it. So how do we build in that time to actually contemplate things? Uh, that's a good question, a really great question. And, um, you know, I think as far as the, the anti-trans bill that looks like it's going to at least get passed and, and sent to the governor. Um, the interesting thing is that this is happening all over the United States. It's just not North Dakota. It's happening in several other states. And it, it appears to be coordinated uh, perhaps by ALEC. ALEC is the an organization that um, Republican state lawmakers uh, belong to that kind of feeds them these policy ideas and uh and then they just pop up <laughs> in the next session, introduced uh, across the country in a way that's kind of frightening. 
um, frightening to the extent that it's not necessarily that they can only come up with terrible ideas, but that um, our legislators uh, can't think for themselves. And so they're leaning on this organization to say, hey, this is what conservatives are doing around the country. Why don't you do it in your state? And uh, it's just dumb. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if, if they were full time, I would hope that they'd actually spend time thinking about what they want to do um, with laws and with policy that fits, you know, their ideological preference for sure, because that's what, what motivates them to do the job. But let them think for themselves, have some creativity instead of being fed whatever Alec is uh, feeding everyone this year. Um, which is kind of just lame, a lame way to do things. And, um, you know, we're supposed to be this, these democratic um, laboratories. But um, if we have a national organization feeding us the same laws, then we're, we, we lose that aspect of things. <clears throat> oh, great, great observation, Ellie. I just want to build a little bit on it. Uh, Richard, Jim, Dustin, any check-in thoughts this week? Um, first off, I'm not sure that Ellie is involved in that particular issue. They're involved in a lot of issues, but I don't know. I haven't seen anything that says that they're on that one. Um, the, you know, I, get, getting I back. Yep. Go ahead, Ellie. I was just going to say, I think, I think you're right. I, like a couple months ago, I told you guys, I didn't think it was Alec. I think it's something else. There's these um, feminist flavored orgs that aren't really feminist and they seem to be like whatever they're connected to. That's the thing. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, obviously, Yana Myrdal is is the head honcho on this whole thing, and, and she's uh, tied with the Concerned Women of America group. Uh, she used to be one of the, uh, the state person on that, and even national, I think she had a role. Um, but, you know, getting back to legislators not understanding the bills, um, you know, it, it just goes to show how confusing things go, are and how, how quickly they've they change. I mean, we've seen this with the package of bills that we've been following on the coal bailout issue. Uh, you know, they, they amend these things so so fast that by the time we've developed our own analysis of the bill, the bills changed. You know, and they renumber everything, and and um, so so it's hard to keep up on it. And uh, you know, like on the case of of uh, House Bill fourteen twelve with Rick Becker, um, I mean, it, on the surface, it looks like a uh, a tax cut, and so um, without digging too deep into it, a person could say, "Yeah, I'm for that," um, but I think that that just goes to the bigger issue is that they don't know that there's this larger agenda. Like he had no idea that there were all these bills on this one topic that were working together. Uh, he he told me off camera they haven't talked about this in in caucus at all in Republican caucus at all and that this is just kind of what's happening and it's mostly on the Senate side and the, the House is getting dragged into it and and that's why you know a, a big chunk of our strategy on on this is is uh, helping uh, uh, Chet Pollard grow a backbone and and uh, put some some good people on the conference committees for these bills that will stand up to the Senate because there's more divergence right now between House Republicans and Senate Republicans than between House Republicans and House Democrats. That's how weird it is, a session. Wow. Justin, I just, this might sound like a silly question. I just need to ask it. 
why doesn't Becker consult with you? Like, it seems to me very strange. And maybe I'm just not narcissistic enough to make the mistakes that he makes. But, like, I don't understand why he didn't communicate with you before embarrassing himself. I mean, what, what am I missing there? Um, I think that right now between putting together a TV show and, uh, you know, dealing with everything, it's probably just a, a time suck here for him. Um, uh, which is funny because, you know, with the, with the TV show, he should have a better handle on things rather than <laughs> less handle. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I give him, I send him stuff all the time. I send a lot of them, a lot of stuff all the time. Um, I, I was not, but remember, even when we started working on the, the, uh, these, uh, coal bills, 1412 was not initially on my list either. I did not testify on that in the house mm -hmm. either. So, uh, you know, these things just, just fall to the wayside. I, I actually, it was on my watch list, but it was not on my action list. It wasn't on my testifying list, uh, until these other bills kind of metastasized. So, you know, and, and, and I think it, it came through the house pretty early on. And again, it looked like a tax cut. So, um, you know, and, and I do know that, that he as much as anybody gets a lot of, uh, free advice all the time and, and sorting through it. And, you know, I can tell him to prioritize mine in his email box and his, his uh, text box. But, uh, you know, all of these guys are, are taking in so much stuff and, and, uh, you know, there, there are legislators that typically, and, and Rick is usually on the list of people that, you know, I don't have to worry about voting the wrong way. You know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I mean, the last <clears> time <throat> that he voted the wrong way was in 2017 on a, on a bill that, uh, took away local control and, and made it more difficult for what I've been working on, uh, at the local level on, on uh, replacing special assessments with monthly fees. Uh, but that, uh, that was also something that looked like on the surface, it was preventing tax increases at the local level and it got used to, uh, prevent tax reform at the local level. So a lot of these things, when you first, you have to think 10 years ahead on what are the ramifications of these things and, and how, how is somebody going to use this against what you want? Uh, and, and, you know, the, the unforeseen consequence side of things. So, uh, you know, when you, when you have to vote on, you know, 400 bills and in, in a month and a half, uh, you know, one or two are going to slip through. That's just the way it is. <clears throat> this is Richard. Um, I'd circle back. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I might circle back to um, the, the the what amazes me about this this transgender, um, you know, kind of across the nation kind of deal. And then, you know, in light of that, kind of the irony is that you know, um, the current administration is has uh, nominated you know a, a, an out transgender woman, Doctor um, Rachel. What is her last name? Levine for for health, and uh, it sounds like she's been you know, confirmed. So the irony in that, I don't know, does that miss anybody? You know, I mean, and I, I guess, you know, I, I agree with Ellie's assessment um, that, you know, that there is that lack of time and will 
maybe that lack of time and that professionalism. And, 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 I, and I think maybe we, and you know, and I was talking to Shannon Roars Jones just like two years ago and told her that, you know, my recommendation was not told her, but my recommendation was, is we need a full-time legislature or more days or whatever that looks like, but there needs to be more. And she just indicated at that time, there was no appetite for that. Um, you know, and that, that wasn't going to happen anytime in the next decade. So I, I don't know. Um, but I do, I will say this though, I agree with you, Ellie, but I also believe that as I kind of watch this and, you know, I hear about some of the folks and I kind of catch videos, there is for some of these legislators, there is an ideology that's driven by hate or at least some kind of, you know, I, I believe I, I firmly, I guess I just kind of think all of these other groups that we're talking about, you know, besides um, Alec, that might be, I, I think a big part of it is, is Christian nationalism. Um, has a, quite a hold on the Republican Party. Um, so I, I that's kind of. Well, let me. Can I? Can I just clarify something? I think there's a there's a difference between those who afford the or bring the bill for us, you know, who who push the agenda, and the people who see the bill and go, huh? Yeah, yeah, I, I, guess, I agree with you. I, you know, and so I guess what I'm saying is, I like the people who brought the bill forward can go to hell. Like I already, you know, feel that way, <laughs> but I, but like, I feel like there's something different going That's on. Your words, not like, mine. But, yeah. But, you know, people who are like, well, I, it, it violates my understanding of the universe to, to accept that someone who's biologically male is, doesn't have an advantage. I just can't, you know, people just cannot, they're like fairness, fairness, fairness. Like people really find this unfair, uh, towards cisgender women and that is that comes from a different place than the hate and that's something that takes a long time to challenge like it does my own it does yep. i agree with yeah. you i agree with you there I, it does it it it, it takes it, it takes a you know it, it does take people time to process that kind of thing and maybe no one better understands so that that's a shame that they don't have that opportunity um you know and and, and i and i i want to say you know Part of it, I don't want to call anyone unprofessional in their job. I mean, the people did put them there. But <clears throat> yeah, I guess that, you know, I guess that's one of the things that's missing is you really have to be a quick, 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 critical thinker, I guess. Um, yeah, because when it comes to changing someone's kind of not changing, but, you know, just giving them a different world perspective, an honest world perspective and helping them to wake up to their implicit bias takes time, right? I guess my Suez Canal um, this week uh, would be what happened in Georgia with the closed door, um, uh, you know, closed door. Uh, I think it was with the governor and then Republican lawmakers, and they were actually voting and pushing through um, reforms for um, voter, uh, you know, voter uh, restrictions, things that would vote, restrict voting, such as you can't, and, and then other silly things like. You can't pass out water in the you know waiting line and you know, all these other just kind of weird things. Closing you know opportunities for absentee balloting and, and and those kinds of things. I just heard some of the highlights, but but Representative Park Cannon had you know knocked on the door. I don't know if you saw this footage, um, you know, and she she knocked on the door. Rep, uh, an elected official, a black woman, knocked on the door of the office, you know, and they've got armed like. I, it's so like game of modern day Game of Thrones. It's just insane. Uh, uh, all these kingdoms and all the like. But anyways, try to keep myself on track. But I mean, this woman was like for knocking on the door and demanding transparency. She was, 
accused of, I don't know in the end if she'll be, but disrupting, you know, whatever processes, government processes. And she was literally like hauled away. I mean, grabbed and hauled away and processed. And of course she was out of jail, I guess, before the meeting got over. But I just thought that, that just that image of her challenging the transparency and just by a knock on the door, you know, and getting hauled away and arrested. It was just, it was just kind of, it set me aback a little bit. Well, remember uh, in the U.S. Senate when uh, the Republican majority people were uh, uh, crafting the Obamacare re repeal bill and they wouldn't let Rand Paul in the room and he was knocking on the door and they, they called security on him too. Did they? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You're like, so, leave you us know, alone. <laughs> we're working. <laughs> right. And that's the thing I have a, a tough time with is, you know, all of that kind of back room kind of stuff. I mean, I know for negotiations, sometimes it has to come down to... There just needs to be more transparency there, um, and 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 now, of course, those bills. And I'll come loop just right back to my other one while I finish up. Um, the you know that is automatically being challenged in the courts already. Um, you know, and this trans athlete bill, my understanding is it will be challenged in the courts right away. You know, costing North Dakota, you know, probably ten million dollars. Um, so that's kind of. It's good that there are those that have the resources that can carry that forward. I'm thankful for that beyond belief. So I'm very thankful for that. With that, I'll pass. I was uh, thinking when, when Ryan was talking about the legislators and uh, if they did go full-time and have a livable wage and they didn't need to have their normal jobs, I was thinking he was gonna say, um, and if we made it illegal for to for anybody to donate to cam campaign contributions, if everybody had an equal campaign uh, budget, equal airtime, equal everything, and people were just able to actually run on their ideas and not the corporations that privately sponsor them, you know, how different would North Dakota become? I thought that's how far you were taking it. And maybe you were, Ryan. But... Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of hope for science or even even ideology or or facts or some of the things that, you know, like you pointed out, Rick Becker has been pretty consistent with his beliefs um, he missed during this. I don't I don't know how much of that would would we be, we'd be able to get rid of the inconsistency and the, the bias if we. Um, did go to uh, some kind of an equal election, but um, how to get money, big money out of elections. Cause it, it seems like big, big government isn't coming from like just socialist organizations that want bigger education departments and things like that. It seems like bigger government is mainly coming from big corporations that want bigger handouts um, on some level. I don't know. This gets back to the uh, Republican socialism good, Democratic socialism bad phrase that I've been using lately. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, you know, it, if if it's the kind of socialism Republicans like, they're all for it, and and you know, because they're going to be in charge of it, so they'll be they'll be yeah. able to divvy it out, and and this is all the the principled argument for small government. Government shouldn't have the power to do these things. So it doesn't matter who's in charge. And in that way, nobody can abuse the system. That's the argument 
in favor of limited government. And, and so now you have Republicans who claim to be for limited government, but, you know, they, they are, uh, you know, wanting to raid as much money for their, uh, their cronies as they can possibly come up with. And, uh, you know, and they, they, even if they do realize that it is, is hypocritical, they don't seem to care. <clears throat> do do you think conservatives, Oh, go ahead, Jim. Do you, do you think conservatives would, in that sense, um, ever go for a um, limiting private donations to campaigns and, and things like that? Um, I'm sure they sure didn't want to in the state this last <laughs> or during the... I mean, and they still are blocking much of that is my understanding. So I I wonder if that... I, I think that, you know, you've got a great point and it's good to carry it that forward because... It is such a, uh, the money is just such an insane thing and think how that money could be put to better use. But I, I don't, I don't think that there's a political will on either side to get rid of that right now. Uh, there, there may be on, on, on the, you know, mod, moderate, but on both, both sides, as far as, as far as the, you know, the left, the very far left and the very far right. I don't think there's any, any want to get rid of that, to, to take the money out. They like the power. I, I think gonna... there is there is a certain faction of of conservatives that are that understand that uh, that Citizens United and that sort of mentality works against them. But they're they're the distinct minority in the party. Um, they're the fifteen percenters, as I call them, uh, that that are upset with the way things are going inside the party as well as overall, and. Uh, the vast majority of the, the mainline uh, Republicans are will just fall in line because, you know, they, they've, they've been conditioned to believe that, well, you know, this may be a lot of money, but if the Dems were in charge, they'd spend more. And I, I just say, I don't know how. I, <laughs> I have no idea how that Democrats could spend more. It'd be on different things. But, you know, the, the, the dollar amount, you know, is going to be about the same. <laughs> Right. Well, Dustin, you make an interesting argument. Um, so your small government argument is that mm -hmm. if uh, if the, if it's big government, then it will just be spent unfairly. So you're making a fairness argument um, to to support small government, which is an interesting sell to, I guess, more progressive leaning people where the fairness argument makes um, make, motivates them to, to change stuff. So I think that's an interesting argument that I hadn't heard, at least from a mainstream um, argumentation standpoint for small government typically is that um, no one, you know, no one deserves, uh, it's more of a deserve. We don't deserve um, public funding for this or that. So we just should have a small government because it's just easier. But I think the fairness, the fairness argument is interesting, is more interesting because I think that brings more people to the table to, to start talking about what the size of government should be. So I, I appreciate that frame. I think that's an interesting way to reach across the aisle and kind of get everyone um, on the same page. The, the thing with, the, with the, what they're doing this session that's interesting is that, at least in the context of the bailout bills, is they're creating um, what I would consider to be a state-owned finance company. So uh, finance companies don't do anything, really. They just exist to make transactions uh, to, to help money come into existence and, and get it to the person that wants to take out a loan. 
but they don't really add value. They're just kind of a middle person in, in a transaction. And so uh, a great place to kind of innovate, uh, <laughs> innovate into some efficiency would be if the government was the finance company. And so what, the, what they're trying to do in the state here is they have this um, finance company that's going to uh, guarantee 2% or less loans. Um, which if it just, if they just stopped right there <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're going to have a public finance company and everyone in the state that's a good risk gets a 2% or less loan for their business, for going to school, for this or that. Um, I think you could bring a lot of people to the table, but what they, they went a little further and uh, they said, oh, it's just for uh, uh, just helping oil and gas and coal. Oh, and then and then it's not, you know, this this thing that w- which is, would be great for everybody now, it's just targeted to this one industry that we really, really want to help um, in the next 10 years. And so what go, went from a really interesting public policy idea, like uh, let's make uh, capital easier to acquire for everybody, just moved into a huge bailout to the richest people in, in North Dakota. That's and uh, yeah, well, I mean, so the, the, they're very close to having a good idea, but then they just target it in a way, which goes back to what Dustin was talking about, which is when you have this largesse of government, there's a real temptation to use it in a corrupt manner. And so- yeah, we're how does it, what, I wonder what happens if they fail those on those laws. That's the other part of that. But yeah, I understand. And then that was my next thought was, what corruption is going to play into that? Well, it's it's all soft corruption because it's all based on who you know. And it's exactly. all based on who is the preferred industry. And, and uh, you know, the idea of, of the using the Bank of North Dakota as an infrastructure bank for, for public projects is fine. The problem is that they, they've taken that a step further and they've determined that private use is a public project, which is, you know, <laughs> it, it is a uh, interesting flip of the situation. Uh, it's almost like reverse uh, eminent domain in a way. It's like they, they've decided that, uh, you know, the this private activity is in the public interest so we have to pay for it and that that is socialism so you know it it, they have in essence and in a in a strange and perverted way the the today's republican party is actually uh promoting the original npl vision of state-owned industry Except with the twist, which is it's only for yeah, certain yeah. industries, <laughs> right? And and that then that is where the, the the philosophy of the only way to control who gets the deals is to control the fact that the deals aren't there aren't available in the first place, right? Well, it's an interesting argument, and you know, I, I think it, it also kind of plays into what I would consider to be um, absolute um, non messaging from the democratic side of things uh, on these issues. So I think they're struggling with uh, to articulate what their point of view is. Cause they're like, you know, up to a certain point, this is exactly what we would do if we were in power. And maybe they would do the same thing. You know, it's possible that they could be do they would be doing this exact same thing. To, but, you know, pitching it as we're building um, connections and um, consensus with our coke and, and oil communities in North Dakota. And this is the best way to use public money because this is actually going to support in everyone in North Dakota, even the people in the eastern part of the state that have nothing to do with oil and gas and coal. And, and they, they, they could potentially be put, putting the same deal on the table and, and making us take it um, if they were in power, but they would be using a different, you know, a, a slightly different set of uh, language games. So it's, I, I've been interested in just the the Democrats that we've come across really don't have a, um, a vocabulary to 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 use to describe why they're against this, other than they know it's 
helping one industry over another. But going back to Dustin's point of view, this is almost, you know, it's, it's a weird synthesis <laughs> between what a, a typical Democrat, Democratic solution would look like, you know, a technocratic, democratic, um, neoliberal solution would look like versus what they're doing with the Republican Party um, in North Dakota, which is kind of a crony capitalist solution to this issue, which uh, is super clever. You know, it's a super clever, you know, they, they, they didn't just like come out of nowhere with this. They've spent probably a year, two years working on this plan. And it seems, it seems like it's still in process. They're still kind of tweaking things as it goes to the finish line. And it's, um, you know, they get points for being clever, but when you're too clever, it kind of is hiding something else besides the things that you're trying to solve. It's, they're also trying to <laughs> sneak one by everybody at the same time. Well, and, 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 and it's important to remember what were the Democrats proposing 14 years ago? A state-owned oil refinery. So, so the, the Democrats were all in favor of building a state-owned oil refinery and hiring an oil company to run it for them. That was the plan. Uh, and, and the only thing that, that stopped them was the fact that Republicans didn't think that the, at that time in 2006, 2007, that they, have, they hadn't realized that the oil boom was actually booming and they didn't think that it was viable. Um, you know, looking back, and, and I believe that the price tag on that was about $6 billion uh, to make that work at a large scale, at least a large enough scale that production would be enough to entice the transportation, which would include pipelines and rail, um, to, to come in. And, and the whole idea there was that we have to add value to our oil in order to get the most tax dollars out of it. And that was the, the mentality that that the Democrats had 14 years ago. So, you know, whether it's oil or coal, you know, there's, there's really no difference. You know, it's just the, the purpose of it was a little bit different. The motivation was a little bit different, but the end result would have been the same. Except under that scenario, I would assume that the profits, you know, would have been, Richard, I think you're, you're, uh, you might be shuffling some papers in your microphone somehow. Sorry. That's all right. Um, I think, you know, if a Democrat, if that had been proposed and, and executed by some Democrats, I would have hoped that the profits would have been shared equally amongst the citizens of the state. So I think, again, this is where it goes back to who owns the means of production and who gets the profits. So we have got a thing where the state could own an oil refinery and theoretically, if they did, did it well, they would have profits. And so even though we're kind of contributing to climate change, we're, we're spreading the wealth from, from that activity back to the people in a way that at least there's some justice to this um, environmental disgrace. Um, so they, they're at least, you know, you get someone out of, out of your pollution that everyone can benefit from. Uh, what's happening now, however, is I still don't see where the public benefits from this. You know, they're going to say, Hey, well, it's going to keep the tax revenues up. And as the tax revenues stay up, then the state can be funded in the same way it's always been funded, at least for th the last 30 years. And therefore, ergo, you guys get some benefit out of it, even though you really don't, um, which I, I think it's very um, um, stretching the reasoning because the whole <laughs> tax revenues are nice, but what they're doing is they're using the, the existence of tax revenues to kind of create this non-virtuous cycle where, 
oh, oil and gas give us all the tax revenue, so we have to do what they want because then we'll get more tax revenue. So it's like they're going to be it basically perpetuates their their own power because of this so-called tax tax benefit we all share in. But we're not sharing in it. It's just consolidating their power more and more. So if there was a way to actually extract their profits, you know, that's what socialism does. You extract the profits for everybody from these um, industrial barons. And, uh, and push it back to redistribute it back to the people. And so the redist- redistribution part is where they fail. You know, they, they're socialist up to a point and, and they're redistributed to, to a point, but it's to a very small minority instead of everybody. So if there was a way to take this, you know, they take this infrastructure and, and kind of tweak it. And I wonder if, you know, if it goes to the, the, um, the conference committee where they, where they, the house and the Senate have to come to an agreement. I wonder if, you know, we, we, we'll talk about it down the road, Dustin and uh, the rest of the group. But I wonder if they they could push in some more things that could open, at least the Democrats or uh, whoever we have, that if we're talking to anyone on those conference committees, they could push uh, some tweaks in there that would allow some of the benefits to be spread more evenly instead of kind of pushing everything back to oil and gas. So it just keeps going back and back and back. And it becomes, you know, oil and gas is government, not North Dakota's citizens' governments. Right. Yeah. You know, the... the they are so afraid. I mean, there are 10,000 good paying jobs associated with this. And so they are, they're definitely afraid of losing those of, you know, essentially gutting two counties in the middle of the state economically. I mean, that their, their fears are legitimate. The problem is that their solutions are short-sighted and, and overpriced. Right. And, and it, it putting taxpayer money up to, to this purpose. And I was joking with somebody, privately that you know instead of spending 500 million dollars to to prop up the industry here we should probably be spending 500 million dollars to change the minnesota state government because that's the that's where the problem is <laughs> or or you could just use 500 million dollars to create the electricity that they would rather consume and then and then and then we could help everybody but yeah, no, it's it's a question of like, okay, well, you want to spend, you want to put, you have this money to spend, okay. Um, what's the best investment? And so you, Sonia made that chart, which I don't have right now, or I'd screen share it, but it shows the the overall carbon impact of all these different forms of um, electricity generation. And so on the one side, you have wind, solar, geothermal. Other side, you have oil, gas, and um, and hydrothermal, uh, hydropower, and the car, the the lifetime carbon impacts of the ones on the right of the the fossil fuels and the hydropower are like orders of magnitude higher than the ones on the left. So if if we all believe that in the future there will be a carbon constrained future where either a carbon price or a carbon tax or some other way to capture um, the effect, the economic effect of putting carbon in the atmosphere, if we all believe that's happening, and then you put these various investment opportunities next to each other and rank them by their carbon impacts over the lifetime of the projects, wouldn't any investor go to the ones that have the least amount of carbon impact? Yes, they would. So if we want to spend $500 million, why are we not investing in the thing that looks like the smart investment? Putting aside all the other historical and um, cultural uh, considerations, ideological considerations. If this is a pure investment decision, everything points in a different direction. So it's just, it's not only that it's crony capitalism, it's bad crony capitalism. It's not based on any um, economic value. It's based on an ideolo- ideological value 
plus having all the power and the ability to shift so many funds in one industry's direction to, to serve that ideological end. But the economics are just terrible. They're, they're terrible. And, and they're only getting worse. <laughs> Even if they can do all the things they think they can do, they're still going to be on the short end of that investment decision because of just the way the world's moving. And how do we get them to, to understand that? I don't know if we can at this point, other than to continue to talk to them, continue to complain. It's hard to, you know, I'm kind of in a place where, you know, how much more can we complain about this? We, we almost have to expand to a different set of judge and, and jury because uh, the ones we're talking to in the legislature really have seemingly made up their minds. Yeah. And, you know, this week, I don't know if you saw the, uh, the news that uh, the Amer American Petroleum Institute came out in favor of carbon taxes. Yeah, I saw that. They did. They did. Yeah. I did see that news. And then I also saw that several other Republican groups said, well, well, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> We're not ready to go there quite yet. But yeah, I mean, there's going to, unless we can overthrow capitalism, everybody, there's going to be a market-based solution to try to limit car carbon. That's going to happen because uh, we're in a capitalist solution system and that's how we create solutions is a capitalist way. So that's what's going to happen no matter who's in power. That's going to happen at some point. It might not happen next year, but it's going to happen. It, it's almost guaranteed to happen unless we can overthrow capitalism. which I don't think we can in the next year. <laughs> in the next year. That, that would be quite an ambitious goal there, Ryan, in the next year. <laughs> blockchain, Only, baby. Blockchain. Yeah. Well, blockchain, <laughs> is pure, blockchain is pure capitalism and pure free market. So Exactly. I mean, well, that, that, no, that's, what it, that's how you would purifying do it. purifying it. <laughs> well, it, it's... Um, so what if you, if you consider capitalism to be the, uh, humanity's great, greatest coordination mechanism in existence then you have to have a better coordination mechanism to, to create a better version of capitalism so that's what you would do is use blockchain to do that um, and since it's a pure pure code you can take out some of the structural inequalities and in, in systemic uh, racism and injustice that are baked into capitalism and colonialism and imperialism and and and, and purify them in a way that helps you know, everybody within the system so it has a total but, network but value blockchain Blockchain uh, benefits those that can afford high-end computer systems to do mining. So, aren't you just uh, actually just shifting the the benefits to people who have a lot of electricity and, and computing power? Potentially, if it was built off just Bitcoin. So, I'm I'm saying blockchain, not Bitcoin, uh, for the for the overthrowing capitalism part 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 of things. Uh, Bitcoin would be it is an interesting store of value for a global um, economy that wants to move outside of the dollar. So, work work outside the fiat system. But there are other blockchains that don't use as much electricity or almost use no electricity. And you can basically democratize the consensus protocol. So right now you're right. If it's if it's um, Bitcoin, uh, it's not a democratic consensus process. It's basically based on how big your computing power is and how much money you already have, and you can invest in in mining mining equipment. And so it's um, there is a concentration of mining power in China and um, in the United States that um, is not democratic. So the, they. The code has baked in a certain 
um, certain democratic principles as far as uh, the accuracy and the uh, immutability of the chain as far as um, data security is concerned. But at the same time, you're right that it's going to favor the people that already have money and power. And it's continued to um, push those uh, that money and that power forward. So it's not 100% the solution, but it, it's an interesting kind of side solution within the context of, of capitalism and fiat um, currency, which can be manipulated by geopolitical transnationals and all that other stuff. But yeah, so there are other blockchains, Dustin, that can that work basically on your phone. You can use your phone to, to do to do all the, the consensus um, protocol uh, mining that you need to do. But they have different, um, the, the, the cryptography under, underneath is, is much um, more elegant use of uh, uh, computing power. So you don't re require these huge mines, these huge mm. Bitcoin mines. I do know but, the only way that you're going to get your... Uh state-based ubi is probably with a state cryptocurrency oh yeah no i, I uh, um re revisions are, are happening as we speak but yeah so it, um you know that's the potential and that's the that's the problem with the um you know do we have the imagination to um to think what what kind of system we would do if we didn't have capitalism capitalism has this great ability to appropriate everything that um, comes along even the things that are against capitalism it has a way of spitting them, eating them and spitting them back out in a way that supports capitalism. Um, and it's just because it's a coordination. It's a, how do you coordinate so many different people in so many different um, cultures and languages? And, and it's a truly a global, like the, like the ship that's screwing up the Suez Canal. Um, you know, we typically, we don't remember that most of our stuff is made in China uh, for very small wages, if any wages, and then shipped across the world and uh, maybe goes to Europe for a little bit and then comes to Target where I buy it for $11.99 for my kid and she loves it and it's great. And I don't have to think about who made it or how it got there until a giant ship in the Suez Canal screws everything up. And then you think, well, maybe we could come up with a better solution than uh, somebody in China making my cool t-shirt from Target that my kid wants. But we don't think about those things because capitalism is, is great for making us forget about where things come from. <clears throat> we got about eight minutes, guys. We have a, do have a hard stop here at uh, three o'clock again this week. Um, I want to give some space for checkout thoughts. We kind of we're all over the bases uh, today, which I like. I enjoy the more wide ranging conversation from time to time. Uh, and so, in that spirit, uh, in your checkout thoughts, go ahead and go off the map, uh, but not too far because we only have seven minutes left. that I am already very ready for session to be over. It sucks <laughs> up all the oxygen. It does. It and does. There's just so much. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I, I understand the seriousness and the importance of being plugged in and paying attention and fighting for the things that we know are right. But, um, but there's just so much else going on in our world. And there are bigger picture issues that don't don't go away during session, but get neglected um, because session takes up all the oxygen. So uh, I'm ready for it to just end, and then like people can hit the reset on their brains a little bit, and and then most people will going to be in a little bit of a period of rest because it won't be election season for a little while. Um, so I think that um, the second half of odd number of years can be pretty nice, where people can sort of. <laughs> get out of election mode, out of session mode, and get back to a more creative way of thinking, um, get back into bigger civic, bigger and bolder civic projects, um, break, break 
up with the minutia for a little bit and try to re recalibrate towards what's the bigger picture stuff they want to work on. That sounds really good, actually. I, uh, I, I agree with that sentiment. And I, I'm not even as engaged now as I was earlier um, because I've had some things go on with work and just need to really focus there. Um, but no, I, I'm just glad that we had to be with you today. It was a great conversation, learned a lot uh, along the way. Um, thank you for having me and um, I look forward to the next uh, next round. Oh, and Ellie, um, I'd like to learn more about um, the MPL movements and um, understand what's going on there a little bit more. So reach out and just engage me with that and kind of like, I, I more just to even just watch and listen. I'm not looking for a leadership role, certainly, but. Um, yeah, but yeah, I look forward to engaging the MPL a little more. If you want, I'll just put you on our emails okay. um, so that you can start attending any meetings you want. We have different kinds of meetings, we have different flavors, different times of the week. Okay. Um, and just, you know, there is a meeting uh, at 6 p.m. today, and it's going to be basically focused on um, fleshing out some goals and timelines for those goals. It's okay. going to be like a goofy relaxed vibe it's not an official meeting so there won't be like minutes and roberts are really bobby's rules of order um and, but it will be sort of like strategic planning almost if that makes sense yeah um yeah. anyway yeah so it's so sundays and thursdays tend to be when we do stuff i'll keep you okay. yeah just give me yeah i'd appreciate that if i was on the email and then i could just pop in and listen um on the link that'd be great i really greatly appreciate that thank you Jim, Dustin, any checkout thoughts here? Uh, I, I, I uh, certainly uh, back up Ellie's uh, uh, view of the session being over. Though for some of us who have been, who the session never ends after most <laughs> of us. It, it, it just, it, it turns into something else and something else. And, you know, when you live your life two, in two and four year cycles, uh, it all just kind of blurs together. Fair enough. I think maybe I'm going to start putting pressure on you to take a kind of sort of month of Sabbath or something in uh, the second <laughs> yeah. half of odd number of years. So it's like, okay, dude, I think about it. Do you want it to be July, August, September, October? Just you decide and then we're going to put the pressure on you. Um, yeah, well, I, to, uh, I had a, I was already planning to be checking out like on May 8th, but now things might change. So, you know, the, the legislature do, really knows how to keep me busy. That, that, you know, <laughs> that they're, they're really good at that. If they, they should realize that, you know, if they don't like, if they don't want to deal with me, they need to stop giving me so much work. <laughs> yeah. Jim, any checkout thoughts? Well, I'm interested to see how this week shakes out and um, seeing how many new ways they've slipped in money into different bills um, to profit up one industry. Uh, I'm I'm really interested to see what unfolds this week. And it's it's it was it was neat to see um, uh, Becker's podcast or I guess TV show with with you on Dustin and and to see that. Some of the conservatives are really taking a, a look at this and saying, oh, wait a minute, um, what we've been doing all the time and unquestionable, which is um, is now something that maybe we should question 
That's it's a it's a neat time. Uh, people are talking about a power vacuum in North Dakota, and North Dakotans realizing that they might need to change the system in a bigger way. So I I look forward to you know partnering up with all kinds of people that want to think new new ways and. You know, who would have thought there'd be such an eclectic group all working together? Right. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, on that, uh, I, I, Rick did send me a text saying that he's looking for somebody else to, to come on Wednesday. But if nobody else wants to talk about this after the uh, the appropriations hearings, that he'll have me on again. So uh, he he is taking ownership of it because he knows that uh, that it, it is a big issue. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about all this on our next call here. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, here, here, everyone, Dustin, Jim, Ellie, Richard, great checkout thoughts. Uh, I want a, a couple of points of order here before we close up. Uh, so I did look up and it looks like, and this is from the nonprofit quarterly. Um, I hope it's a reputable organization, but they say that um, the Heritage Foundation, the Alliance Defending Freedom, and Eagle Forum are the key donors behind the rise of the anti-trans legislative efforts this year. So not ALEC, but um, using some ALEC-like techniques. So the model legislation technique, where they write the write the bill and send it off to their to their networks to get um, sent up in, in various state legislatures around the country. And, and, and another- Eagle Forum was Phyllis Shafley's operation back in the day, uh, and and she was a big anti-ERA person. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the the Equality Federation identified those same three. I should have been able to answer that question now that now that you name them off. So that was that was a couple of weeks ago. They identified them. All right. Well, Thanks, at least that- let me let me just make explicit something Dustin just hinted at the anti-trans legislation and the ERA legislation are absolutely intertwined. And there you have it. Yep. All right. Agreed. Well, Agreed. And then one more up. Point of housekeeping next Sunday is Easter. I'm going to assume that the group will take this uh, Sunday off. So if we don't uh, hear from y'all, uh, well, it's a plan for the week after, the Sunday after April 11th for our next call. And you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. This has been the No Name Podcast.